This program is presented by CreamCityUSA.com. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents... Director's Playhouse, star Kirk Douglas, production champion, director Mark Robeson. The Hollywood Screen Directors present a symphony in fists, the motion picture drama Champion, starring Kirk Douglas in his original role of Midge Kelly with Frank Lovejoy as Tommy Haley. Never mind the winner. No one remembers who won that four-round prelim in Kansas City that night years ago. Everyone knows who lost it. Midge Kelly, by a decision. He lost because he'd never been in a prize ring before. He was just fighting to eat. But he had heart, he had guts, and if he was willing to learn, I was willing to teach him how to fight. I talked to him about it later in the dressing room. He was a battered mess, but he grinned at me. Oh, no thanks. Not for me. What good is the big money if you don't live to spend it? <laughs> All right, forget it. But if you're ever in L.A., you can find me in Brady's gym. Yeah, sure, sure, L.A., Brady's gym. Yeah, goodbye. He brushed me off like dandruff, and I thought I'd seen the last of him until one day in Brady's gym in Los Angeles. Hello, Mr. Haley. Huh? Oh, sure. Kansas City. Mitch Kelly. Yeah, that's right. How are you, Kelly? Hey, you told me to look you up, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm retired now. Retired? You want some advice? You do the same. Yeah, but you told me to look you up. You said you want to manage me. Well, that was then. This is now. I'm out of the fight business. It stinks. No kidding. Take a deep breath. It stinks in here, doesn't it? You go on home, huh, kid? What do you mean, go home? I don't need you. You're not the only manager in the world. I'll find somebody else. I'll show you. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with me, says? Look, you ever been poor? Well, I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of being a hey you all my life. Look, Midge here. What's that? Five bucks. Pay me back when you get a job. Keep it. Sure. Get a job. I've had jobs. Soda jerk, fry cook, uh, bus boy, ditch digger. Nice, clean, healthy work. Big money. Well, I'm tired of being nobody. I'm going to get someplace. Now, look at it this way. Now, wait a minute. You see that fella sitting over there on that bench with a cane? That's my brother, Connie. He's crippled. I got him to take care of. I got my mother back in Chicago. You told me there was big money in the fight game. Yeah, that's right. You take me on, and I'll make plenty for both of us. Oh, you will, huh? You bet I will. All right, I'll take you on. Now you're talking. You're going to have to work. Well, let's go. You're going to work until your bones hurt, and you're going to learn to break other guys' bones. It'll be a pleasure. You're going to learn every dirty trick in the business, and there's plenty of them. Don't worry. I'll learn. I'm going to get someplace. He learned, he learned fast, and he learned right. And in his first fight, Midge was a killer tasting blood for the first time. In his dressing room after the fight, he was drunk with his first victory. Hey, Connie, did you hear them out there, huh? I heard them. Huh? Hey, what's the matter, Connie? I don't know, Midge. Uh, I didn't know you in that ring. Ah, you're talking kid stuff. You looked as if you wanted to kill that guy. Is that bad? Midge. Listen, I want to fight. My first fight, that's all. You hear that crowd? For the first time in my life, people cheering for me. Were you deaf? Didn't you hear him? Yeah, but is it worth it? Ah, uh, wake up, Connie. Smell the coffee. Smell the steaks. We're not hitchhiking anymore. We're riding. I'm on my way, and I'm going to get someplace.
boy Kelly, promising young middleweight, keeping his promise for three great years, tossing hard leather from coast to coast. Salt Lake, Denver, Omaha, Tulsa, Dallas, St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago, Cleveland, and New York. And then a chance at Johnny Dunn, leading contender for the middleweight title. Oh, yeah? What do you mean, oh, yeah? You were downtown today. When do I meet Dunn, huh? Midge, the boys gave me a cigar, patted me on the back, and told me to drop dead. What? They say you can't beat Dunn. Who says I can't beat Dunn? Well, Dunn is a big draw, Midge, so you lose to him. He goes on to fight the champion and grab the title. Hey, you mean uh, I toss the fight? Well, that's the way they want it. Who cares what they want? They're the control. They own the business. Well, they don't own me. Listen, Midge, I'm not telling you to do it. But if you don't, you'll be fighting in the sticks until your beard is long enough to reach the rosin. Oh, no. Nobody's rubbing dirt in my face now. What kind of a manager are you? What's in it for you? Hold it, Midge. Yeah, three years. Work like a slave. Build the muscles. Build the wind. Live like a monk. Beat your brains out. And then the fat bellies with the big cigars, they tell you you're still a tramp. And I can beat Johnny Dunn. You know I can beat him. I know it, Midge. But this one, you'll lose. I don't know how to lose. Well, look, if you want to stay in business... You want to stick close to the real money? This one you'll lose. Now, what's it going to be, Midge? All right. I lose. The main event, Midge Kelly, my boy, versus Johnny Dunn for clean sport and a cash consideration and a chance at the middleweight championship of the world. Johnny, Midge, you're both know the rules. I want you to watch yourselves on low blows. Let's have a nice clean break. Shake hands, come out fighting. Take your corner. Relax, Midge, you're tense. Take it easy. Yeah, nice clean break. But toss the fight. Shh. Ah. Who's a flashy blonde at ringside? It's Johnny Dunn's girl. Why? What's she grinning at? Never mind her, Midge. Doesn't she think I can take her, boy? I get it. Well, she can get the smile off her face, can't she? Ten seconds, kid. You know what to do now. Yeah, I know what to do. What? I'm going to wipe that smile off her face. We gotta get out of here. I told you I could beat him. Up the aisle. Don't get lost. Wait follow a minute. Me. Come Wait on, follow a me. Minute. Come on. I want to talk to Johnny Dunn's girl a minute. Mitch. Well, where's that smile now, baby? Who do you think you are? Call Skyler, 78941, and find out. Mitch, come on. Don't forget, Blondie. Coming, Tommy. I got it, Tommy. Okay. Yeah? Well, I'm calling it. Oh. <laughs> Hello. I live at one Sutton place. Hey, nice address. I'm making you a martini. Tell her to get warm. Who is that? Johnny Dunn's girl. Grace Diamond? Yeah. Winner takes all, huh? Listening to the Screen Directors Playhouse production of Champion, starring Kirk Douglas and presented by RCA Victor. They say the census takers this year expect to find more American families together at home than at any time since George Washington's day. Yes, you've guessed why. They'll be looking at television. Most of them at RCA Victor Television, America's favorite. A set which enchants families en masse is the RCA Victor T-164, a 16-inch table model. Women love it for its gracefully proportioned, richly finished cabinet. Children love it because it's so easy to tune. Men love it for its matchless RCA Victor engineering. And everybody loves it for its really vast picture and incomparable performance. 
The suggested list price of the T-164, slightly higher in some locations, is only $299.95 plus federal tax. Here's hoping such a marvelous television value will soon enable you to join the United Families of the United States. RCA Victor Branch. Now, back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of Champion, starring Kirk Douglas in his original role of Midge Kelly, with Frank Lovejoy as Tommy Haley. My boy, Midge Kelly, had himself a parlor date with Johnny Dunn's girl, One Sudden Place. Nice address, that One Sudden Place. Olive or onion in your martini, Midge? Uh, uh, olive. Olive. Uh, thanks. How do you feel after the fight? Oh, fine. Johnny's in the hospital, you know. Yeah, I, uh, I heard. They say you'll never fight again. Gee, that's, uh, yeah, it's tough. But, uh, he's planning a comeback. He wants a return match. Ah, any time. Meanwhile, you're king of the world, hmm? <laughs> what do you think? When it takes all. Come here, baby. I think this. Why, you... I had a lot of time invested in Johnny Dunn. Did you think you could knock him senseless and then prance over here and try me on like a second-hand suit? Go on, crawl out of here. Go on. All right. You're a dime a dozen even in good times. Wait, you. Well? Come back here. Well? You give up awful fast, Mitch. I just wanted to see if you thought I was too easy. <laughs> Boy, you're a character, all right. Does it uh, hurt where I slapped you, doll? Oh, I've been, I've been slapped before. We got to talk about your future, doll. Yeah. You're dead in the fight racket now. You know that. Unless. Unless what? Unless you get yourself a manager. I got a manager. You got an appendix too, but it'll never make you rich. See Jerry Harris. Johnny Dunn's manager. He can get you everything that Dunn was due for. And he'll square things with the gamblers for you. I can't drop Tommy Haley just like that. And get yourself a liquor license and a television set, because you're all through in boxing. Look, I didn't come this far to be through. And see Jerry Harris. No. For a shot at the title? For me, though? Uh, you, uh, you know Harris pretty well, huh? We were the very best of friends. Until he took unto himself a beautiful society wife. Okay. Get an appointment with him. Now, come here, doll. And, uh, so my boy Midge Kelly shook me and signed up with Jerry Harris. And pretty soon Midge was signed for a bout with a champion. Oh, well, Midge was getting someplace all right. Whether his brother Connie approved of the method or not. You threw him out. You threw Tommy Haley out? Honey, I had to do it. It was our only chance. But this man was like a father to you. Well, he fed you. He put shoes on your feet. He made you. Well, who's been taking the punches, Haley or me? All oh, this rotten business. Oh, lay off the business. It's like any other business. Only here the blood shows. Listen, Connie. It's time for you to grow up. Look, you and me and Ma. That's what's important. Nobody else. Midge, what's happened to you? Nothing stands in your way anymore. You've got your own way of destroying people, and I don't think I want any part of it. Okay. Who's twisting your arm? Go on. Get yourself a job. Feed yourself for a change. Ah, uh, go on. Take your bleeding heart out of here. All right, Mitch. I'll tell Ma how you're doing. Yeah. Run home to Mama. Okay. Champion! 
was a great champion, Mitch Kelly. Yep, and uh, he was quite a boy. He dropped Johnny Dunn with those hard fists of his, and then he dropped me for Jerry Harris. Then he began dropping Grace Diamond for Harris's society wife. Midge found Grace waiting for him in his apartment one evening when he came home to dress for a big date. Whew. Hey, how'd you get in here, Gracie? Thanks for remembering my name. Ah, that's all right. Uh, I'm in a hurry. Will you excuse me, Gracie? Where are you going again tonight? Huh? Oh, out. I got a date with a lady. Uh, you know what a lady is? Nah, how could you? You know anything about art? You know anything about opera? Nah, all you know is how to spend my money, huh? Well, so long, Gracie. I got to get dressed. Wherever you're going, I'm going with you. You're not going to shake me now. Oh, yes, I am. For good. You better promote yourself another meal ticket. No, Midge. All I want is you. Don't do this to me. I'll do anything you want. You will? Yes. Then why don't you call up Johnny Dunn? Midge, if you do this to me, I'll plaster your name all over town. I'll raise such a... Oh, no. You're going to be a good girl. Because if you aren't, I'll put you in the hospital for a long, long time. I got to change now. Don't be here when I come out. Midge Kelly, champion, was hitting the high spots all right. But Johnny Dunn was coming back hard and strong, demanding a match with Kelly until Midge had to give it to him. That's when Midge dumped Jerry Harris. Well, Tommy, it's going to be a tough fight. And, well, you're the best trainer in the business. Look, I give you one-third of my purse. <laughs> you're quite a boy, Midge Kelly. I took him on. A training camp. Men in motion, flick of jump ropes, rumble of punching bags. Telegram. Ma, very ill. Can you come right away? Connie. Oh, gee, Tommy, I, I can't go now, can I? It's up to you, Midge. Oh, Ma's had those attacks before. You know best. I know Ma wouldn't ask me to break training because she's sick. Look, it's Connie. I wish she'd grow up. What's it gonna be, Midge? Be? A fight? I got a fight on my hands, haven't I? Yeah. Well, so okay. Train. When'd you get in town? How's Ma? How's Ma? She's dead, that's how Wha she is. Dead? And where were you when she was crying for you? Calling for you. Training. Getting somewhere. Defending the oh, championship. Gee, Connie, I, I didn't think she was going to die. Well, I sent you a telegram. I tried to yeah, telephone but her. I was She's worried. gone. Ma's gone. She died calling All for you right. and crying All for you. All right. Now get out, Connie. I got to fight. I got to relax. You stink. You stink from corruption. I ought to Don't beat. do it, Connie. You! Why, you... <clears throat> Hit me with your cane, will you? Here we go, Snap. There. There's your cane, gimp. Coming, Tommy. taken by a decisive margin. The champ looks worried, and there's a conference going on in his corner. Gee, Tommy, I, I hit him with everything but a club. He's in good shape, champ. Yeah, I should have had him. I should have had him. Round eight. I don't know what's wrong, folks, but the champion's timing is off. He's missing oftener and getting hit oftener. He doesn't seem to be in the same fine fettle as in Round nine was even. Round ten. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Dunn has just opened a bad cut over the champion's eye. And oh, oh, a staggering right to the champion's head. And Kelly is hurt. He's definitely hurt. Oh, oh, Dunn is cutting Kelly to pieces in there. He's cutting him to ribbons. The champ's covering up. He's back on the rope. Round eleven, murder. The challenger reducing the champion, my boy, the human rubble. Mitch Kelly, his face a mash, still answering the bell, refusing to quit being led back to his corner. 
I'll get him. Midge, you're through. I'm going to throw in the towel. No. I'll kill you if you do. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Okay, then. Fight. Round 12. 13. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. He's down. He's down. The champion's down. Kelly is down. Down. I'm down. I can't move. I, I can't get up. Good work, Sonny Dog. Cut him to ribbons. Grace. Turn for me, Dog. You got him, Johnny. Good work. She's for him now. Johnny. Good boy, Johnny. I'll show him. I love you, Dog. Wipe that smile off her face. I can beat him. I'm the champ. I can beat him. Up. Get up. Get up. He's on his feet. The champ is on his feet. Oh, he's lashing out savagely. He's done with terrific right, left. The head, the body, the head again. And now it's done. Turn to cover up. He's trying to clench. He's, he's down. Johnny Dunn is down. And this really looks like it, ladies. Okay, Mitch. Sit here. I won. You sure did, Mitch. Gee, did you hear them out there, Connie? Connie? I'm Tommy. I won. Look, I'll get a doctor. Ah, oh, you're talking kid stuff. I want to fight, that's all. My first fight. Gee, for the first time in my life. People cheering for me. Mitch, Mitch, sit down. Take it easy. Oh, let go. Are you deaf? Didn't you hear them? Wake up. Connie, smell the coffee. Smell the steaks. We're not hitchhiking anymore. We're riding. I'm on my way now, and I'm going to get someplace. Sit down, kid. Go. Will you sit down? Go, will you? Those fat bellies with the big cigars aren't going to make a bum out of me. Get me a fight with Don. I can beat him. You know I can beat him. <laughs> Tommy. Tommy. Mitch. Champ, he's dead. A statement for the press about my brother? Sure, I'll give you boys a statement. Midge Kelly was a... Watch it, Connie. He was a champion. He went out like a champion. He was a credit to the fight game. To the very end. This is Jimmy Wallington speaking. You have just heard the last act of Champion, and our star, Kirk Douglas with our guest screen director, Mark Robeson, who will be with us in just a moment. Next Friday, another great star brings a fascinating performance to the screen director's playhouse. Our story, for the first time on the air, is Chicago Deadline, and recreating his original role will be Alan Ladd, with screen director, Lewis Allen. Now here again is tonight's star, Kirk Douglas. Thank you, Kirk. Didn't I hear somewhere that you made a kind of sentimental pilgrimage to New York right after you finished Champion? Uh, yes, I did, Jimmy. I made the rounds of all the places I knew ten years ago when I was studying at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Places like the Star Club, you mean? Huh? No, no. Places like uh, Schraff's. Oh, I see. As a student, you ate at Schraff's, huh? Oh, no. I only worked there. I couldn't afford to eat there. <laughs> I suppose you visited where you used to live? Yeah. Central Park was looking fine. <laughs> And you know, Jimmy, the RCA building was as nice and warm and hospitable as ever. Say, I'll bet I know something about RCA, Victor, that you don't, Jimmy. What's that? You know, I spent a lot of cold afternoon in RCA's exhibition hall. Look, guess what they're exhibiting now? What, Kirk? Their new 45 automatic record changer and records. Well, dog my cat. Well, you know, a guy explained the whole thing to me, Jimmy. Did you know that in the 45 RPM system, 
RCA Victor has achieved the first record ever to be free of distortion over 100% of the playing surface. Right. And what they've done for convenience. Why, the 45 changer is so small and light, my five-year-old boy carries ours all around. Yeah, and that guy in the RCA building told me you can attach it to any radio. And it's so easy to run. He says his three-year-old boy uses it for hours on end. Well, did he tell you that you just have to push one button once and it plays ten records automatically? Almost an hour of music? Yeah, that's right. Say, what's more, the 45 records are so tiny, you can carry them in your pocket. Yeah, they're non-breakable, too. And say, Jimmy, do you know how little the 45 changer costs? As low as $12.95. Right. And prices on the 45 records start as low as 46 cents plus tax. The 45 is a beautiful proposition all around. No wonder it's the fastest-selling record system in America. Yes, the 45 is sweeping the country like, well, like Kirk Douglas. Hear the 45 soon at your RCA Victor dealers. And friends, join the swing to 45 when you buy your next record. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet the real champion. At 170 pounds, he throws a very special kind of punch. It doesn't close your eyes. It opens them to all the powerful drama that a fine director can achieve on the screen. You'll know what I mean if you've seen such pictures as Home of the Brave, My Foolish Heart, and Bedlam. All of them created by the man who directed me in Champion, Mark Robeson. Thank you, Kate. Now, let's see your face. Oh, here. Uh-huh. The bruises seem to have healed. Hmm? You're ready for another fight picture. Oh, no, Mark. Not again. Uh, Kirk, what if you do get beaten up just a little? Look, it's not the first time I get beaten up that worries me. Say, you know what really hurts? What? When I fall out of the ring and you step out from behind the camera and say, uh, Kirk, you got too much blood on your opponent's glove. Let's, let's shoot, shoot it again, again. yes. <laughs> Kirk, I apologize. I was a beast. Well, my wounds were soothed by the fact that I had Mark Robeson for my director. And believe me, that's worth a lot of punishment. Thanks, Kirk. And I promise next time I do a picture, I won't ask you to do any scenes over again. Oh, I'm glad you understand, Mark. Too bad. I was thinking of doing a picture with a lot of love scenes. Uh, love scenes? Oh, well, good night, Kirk. Uh, now, wait a minute, Mark. Uh, oh, good night, everybody. Now, wait a minute, Mark. to you, Kirk Douglas and Mark Robeson. Remember next Friday, Alan Ladd in Chicago Deadline with screen director Lewis Allen, brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. was presented through the courtesy of Screenplays Incorporated and producer Stanley Kramer, soon releasing The Men. Kirk Douglas can currently be seen in the Warner Brothers production, Young Man with a Horn. Mark Robeson's latest picture is the Samuel Goldwyn production, Edge of Doom. Frank Lovejoy may be heard in his own radio show, Nightbeat, every Monday night over many of these same NBC stations. Included in tonight's cast were Rita Lynn as Grace, Jack Edwards, Dan Riss, and Frank Barton. Champion, from a short story by Ring Lardner, was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by William Lava. Portions of tonight's program were transcribed. Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. You are invited to listen again next Friday when RCA Victor presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Alan Ladd, production Chicago Deadline, director Louis Allen... <laughs> Rupert Durante on NBC. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Floors, doors, walls, halls, white sidewall tires and old golf balls. Sinks, stoves, bathtubs, he'll do. He'll even help clean laundry too. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean can he clean a kitchen sink? Quicker than a wink. Can he clean a window sash? Faster than a flash. Can he clean a dirty mirror? He'll make it bright.
it clearer. Can he clean a diamond ring? Mr. Clean cleans anything. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. Another five-minute mystery. Janice, it's got to be slick. Mm, no, it won't work, Roger. It's too uncertain. But there's nothing to go wrong. Now listen, those custom boys are used to naive, stupid smuggling. We've got to be smart, that's all. And you think your idea is? Look, Janice, why isn't it? We get on the boat. We're strangers. We never speak to each other. No one on the boat can connect us in any way. Now, I get off first, and right away I have my trunk and bags examined. By the time I'm through, you're off and you're waiting. Then... Yes, but that timing... How can I be sure there won't be a lot of people under letter G and only me at K? For heaven's sake, Janice, you can stall somehow. We'll be near enough to each other to see how things are going. Okay, okay. Then I pick up my three bags and walk over toward you. I'm clumsy and I don't see where I'm going. I bump into you and as I do, you drop my wallet. I pick it up. With your hands full of bags, I suppose. Well, maybe you pick it up. Hmm. We don't have to rehearse a scene like that. If anyone thinks he sees you drop it... My initials and identification will prove it's mine, especially as I've just been through the customs. It'll look as if I had it in my hand. Mm, sounds good, Roger. Good. It's perfect. Why, with a diamond market the way it is, we'll clean up in America, honey. Roger, if this works, you're a genius. Is that all you want to declare, Mr. Griswold? Uh, that's all. You're clear then, Mr. Griswold. Guess you're glad to be home. I certainly am. More than you can guess. Yeah, it must be pretty tough in Lisbon, even for Americans. Oh, can you manage that packing by yourself? Oh, yes, thanks. I must be clumsy about this now. Ah, there's Janice, good girl. She's just arrived. Fine. Well, here we go. I beg your pardon. Well, why don't you look where you're going? Oh, oh, just a minute. I, I think you dropped this wallet. What? Oh, yes, yes. I guess I did. Oh, thanks very much. Wait a minute there. He didn't drop that, miss. You did. Oh, no, you're mistaken. That isn't my wallet. Well, indeed it isn't. I saw you drop it, miss. Say, what's going on here? Oh, nothing's going on. This gentleman ran into me and dropped his wallet, and I picked it up, and that's all. How do you know it's his wallet? Well, because his initials are on it. Oh, they are, are they? What are your names? Janice Kite. I'm Roger Griswold, but I don't Well, see... Janice Kite and Roger Griswold, you're both under arrest for smuggling. <laughs> did the customs official discover their trick? In just a minute, we'll hear. First, a word from our sponsor. for smuggling. Well, you remember I asked you, Miss Kite, how you knew it was his wallet that had dropped. Mm, yes. You said you knew it was his because his initials were on it. Well, aren't they? Yes, his initials are there, all right, but on the inside. And when the wallet dropped to the floor, it didn't fall open so you couldn't have seen them. Therefore, I knew you had previous knowledge of them. Yes, you two had a nice little package of 15 diamonds in that wallet. And now, how about a free ride to the station house? <laughs>
than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with amazing physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, wages a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Today, Metropolis becomes the scene of a spectacular series of robberies with the finger of suspicion pointing directly to Superman and his friends in the transcribed case of Double Trouble. Our story begins at Central Police Headquarters in Metropolis, where we find Superman in his guise of mild-mannered Clark Kent and cub reporter Jimmy Olsen waiting for Inspector Henderson to give them the latest report on a daring robbery which took place the night before. Jeepers, what's taking the inspector so long, Mr. Kent? If he doesn't come out soon, we're going to miss the final edition. Well, he put 20 suspects in the lineup, Jim. Can't expect Mrs. Van Dyke to identify the criminal just like that, you know. Well, between you and me, Mr. Kent, I don't expect her to identify him at all. Why not? She said she never saw him. She only remembers his voice. Well, she swears she'll recognize it anywhere. Oh. It's funny, a guy stealing paintings. What's so funny about it? They're worth almost $50,000. I saw them myself only last week. You did? Uh-huh. I went up to Mrs. Van Dyke's home to do a story on them, and I said... Oh, here comes the inspector now. Hey, with Thank Mrs. Van Dyke. Too happy. I'm only too glad to do whatever I can. I just so want to get my paintings back. Oh, inspector. Oh, hello, Kent. Hi. No luck? Nope. Mrs. Van Dyke, would you care to make a statement for the press? What? Why, you... You're the reporter who came to interview me last week, aren't you? Yes, that's right. I'm very sorry to hear about the robbery, but I know Inspector Henderson will catch up with the criminal very soon. Well, thank you, Ken. Thank you. Inspector Henderson has already caught up with the criminal. Oh? Inspector, arrest this young man. What? Mr. Ken? He's the one. I'd know his voice anywhere. My voice? Arrest him, Inspector. He stole my painting. The case of Double Trouble, a new Superman adventure complete in one episode, will continue in just a moment. Fellas and girls, who are you going to surprise this month with your own make-a-card greeting? Is it going to be a friend of yours? Perhaps Dad is going to have a birthday this month. Well, whoever gets one of the cards you will create and manufacture from your own make-a-card kit, I know that they'll be mighty pleased. It's a beautifully designed card which you yourself actually make. That's right. You create and manufacture a new and different type greeting card. A greeting card that is a sincere thought because you've added that important personalized touch. You color the card and add the gold or silver metallic paper. You cut the card out and then you write in either a poem that you have written or you can select one of the many assorted greetings we have included in the set for your use. All in all, the finished product is a masterpiece in fine greeting cards. There are six different types of cards in the set. Two birthday cards, two Easter cards, and a Mother's and Day and Father's Day card. Six new and different greetings which you create and manufacture yourself. And that's not all, fellas and girls. There are six make-your-own envelopes included in the kit. After you complete the cards, why, then you mail the greetings in the envelopes that you yourself have made. Now, you'll also have fun with the gold and silver metallic paper and the box of crayons. Ah, yes, sir, gang, it's a fun-packed idea which you'll want to get in on. Now, in a few minutes, I'll be back to tell you about the many new and novel ideas that the set contains. So be sure to keep listening. And now, back to the adventures of Superman and the case of Double Trouble. Standing by at Central Police Headquarters with Jim Olsen, waiting for the latest developments in the robbery of an art collection valued at $50,000, Clark Kent was astounded when Mrs. Van Dyke, 
the owner of the stolen paintings, suddenly claimed that she recognized his voice and accused him of the crime. Now in Inspector Henderson's private office, Kent tries to laugh off the accusation. Why, it's ridiculous, Inspector. Mrs. Van Dyke made a mistake, that's all. But she swears you're guilty, Kent. Well, now, be reasonable, Inspector. You don't think I am, do you? Well, or do you? Uh, I don't know what to think. Well, now, wait a minute, Inspector. You can't accuse Mr. Kent I'm Cant- not accusing anybody of anything. And you keep out of this, Olson. Oh, yes, sir. The fact still remains that Mrs. Van Dyke positively identified your voice, Kent. Well, she ought to have her ears examined. Or her head. Olson, I'm warning you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, she's positive I'm guilty, and I'm positive I'm not. Now, where do we go from here? You want to book me, get my fingerprints, put me in a cell? Now, look, Kent. Understand my position, will you? Sure. Mrs. Van Dyke has a lot of influence in Metropolis. And unless I investigate you thoroughly, well, she'll go right over my head to the D.A., So, cooperate, would you? Okay, okay. Start investigating. Uh, That's better. Now, you admit you knew about the paintings. Of course. I did a feature story on them for last Sunday's magazine section. You knew exactly where they were in Mrs. Van Dyke's home? Yes, she took me around herself. Mm. Now, look here, Inspector. Easy, Jim, easy. The inspector's only trying to get his facts straight. Go on, Inspector. Well, there's one thing that'll get you off the hook. Proof of your whereabouts last night at the time of the robbery. Midnight. Well, now we're getting somewhere. I was up in Bayville from about 10 in the evening until 2 in the morning. Bayville? Doing what? Well, nothing, as it turned out. What do you mean? The chief, uh, Perry White, phoned me around 9 and asked me to meet him at a hotel up there. He said he was on the trail of a story. So I caught a train at 9.15 and was there by 10, but, I don't know, somehow we missed connections. I never did see the chief. But, but Mr. Kent... Yes, Jim? You, you couldn't have been... I mean... Uh, that is Oh, a... stop stammering, Olson, and out with it. Uh, uh, nothing. I, I made a mistake. Mistake nothing. What were you going to say? Well. Go on, Jim. Don't try to hide anything. Mr. Kent, did you forget you called me at 10 o'clock and asked me if I wanted to see the main event at the arena last night? I what? Well, well. I was awful surprised. You know I usually go to bed around 10. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jim. Let me get this straight. I phoned you last night and asked you to go to the fights with me? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Kent. I didn't mean to get you into trouble. Well, Kent, believe me, Inspector, I never called him. I was in Bayville, as I told you. Jim, you must have made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Uh, forget it, will you, Inspector? I'm afraid I can't. Well, look, all you have to do is talk to Perry White. He'll tell you. That's exactly what we're going to do. And right now... Poppycock, I never sent you to Bayville last night and never sent you anywhere. But, Chief, I talked to you myself. You said you were at the hotel. You were going to wait for me. Kent, I didn't leave this office until after midnight. I didn't talk to you or anyone. All but... right, Kent. How do you explain it? I can't. Chief, are you sure you haven't forgotten? Forgotten? How could I forget a 20-mile trip? Oh, blast it. Come in. I brought you coffee, Mr. White. Coffee? Who ordered coffee? Why, you did, sir. Miss Backrack called up five minutes ago, and I hurried as fast as I could. Great Caesar's ghost. What's going on around here? I never asked her for coffee. Oh, gosh, Mr. White. If you forgot something you did only five minutes ago, then maybe you really did call Mr. Kent last night. I tell you I didn't call Kent, and I didn't order coffee either. Hey, calm down, Chief. You'll blow a few. Of all the idiotic things. Well, I still think... With what? With what? Shut up. Yes, sir. Your coffee's getting cold, Mr. White. Well, you take that coffee and... Hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Willie, come back here. Yes, sir. Did you see me last night? Yes, sir. Where? Right here in your office. What time? Oh, 11 o'clock. You called for some coffee and donuts, and I brought them up to you. Thank you, Willie. Thank you very much. That's all, and uh, you can leave the coffee here. Yes, sir. Will you be wanting anything else later? No, thank you, Willie. Goodbye. Well, Mr. Olson, are you satisfied now? Yes, sir. So, where do we stand, uh, Henderson? I'm afraid Kent is standing on a great big spot. Now, let's have the truth, Kent. I've told you the truth, Inspector. I did not steal those paintings. Then why did you make up the alibi about going to Bayville? I didn't make it up. The chief called me and told me to meet him there. And I know you didn't commit that robbery, but you're not helping yourself by lying. Chief, I'm not lying. Believe me. Oh, confound it. Can a man have any peace in his own office? You want me to answer it, Mr. White? I'm not a cripple, Olson. Sorry. Hello. Oh, well, put her on. Slow us lane. Yes, Lois. What? Well, 
Calm down, calm down, will you? I can't understand a word you're saying. What? You're where? Great Caesar's ghost. What's the matter? Lois, Lois is in jail. She's what? Jail? Yeah, she's being held on, on suspicion of robbery. <laughs> Goodness, you got me out of that awful jail, Chief. I felt like a, a criminal. Well, what's the story, Lois? I don't know, Chief. Believe me, I don't know anything. But, any... Lois, they wouldn't hold you for nothing. Well, what do you think they're doing to you, Mr. Kent? You? Are you in trouble too, Clark? So it seems. Now, oh, here's Henderson. He'll give us the dope. Well, did you get the report from the detective who arrested Miss Lane? Yes, I did. And it looks pretty bad, I'm afraid. But what? I didn't do anything. I was minding my own business. Now, just a minute, when... Lois, just a minute. Uh, let Inspector Henderson talk. It seems that a woman dressed in a gray suit entered a private home on Ridgewood Drive, held up the butler and the downstairs maid, stole two mink coats valued at $15,000 apiece, and made a clean getaway. A woman in a gray suit? Gosh, you're wearing a gray suit, Miss Lane. Well, what of it, Jim? There's more than one gray suit in Metropolis. But you were picked up only three blocks away from the house five minutes after the robbery took place, well, and the butler and the maid both identified you as the woman who stole the furs. That's ridiculous. They were mistaken. Inspector Henderson, do you mean they saw Lois? Well, no. No, they didn't really see her face. She was uh, wearing a heavy veil. I never wear veils. I hate them. But they recognized her voice. Her voice? Jeepers. Lois, what were you doing on Ridgewood Drive? Waiting for Clark. You what? You heard me. I was waiting for you. What? You told me to meet you on the corner of Hillcrest and the Drive, and the next time you keep me waiting, Clark, can't I... Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lois. When did I tell you to meet me there? You phoned me only two hours ago. What is the matter with you, Clark? Lois, I... I haven't spoken to you all day. What? Two hours ago, I was down at police headquarters with Jim. That's right. And he didn't call anybody. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is going too far. It certainly is. First, Olson says Kent called him and Kent denies it. Then Kent claims you called him and you deny it. Now Miss Lane says Kent called her, and he denies that. I'm getting all mixed up. Hey, what kind of a song and dance are you people giving me anyway? Well, of all the nerves... Now, listen, now, no, no, you listen to me, Kent. And you too, Miss Lane. $50,000 worth of paintings and $30,000 worth of furs have been stolen, and you're my only suspect. But I never heard anything... I'll give you until tonight to make up your minds about who called who and who was where. And if your stories don't make sense, I'm going to pull you in. We'll be back in a moment with part two of The Case of Double Trouble, a complete Superman adventure story, so stand by. In the opening of today's program, fellas and girls, I told you about the new Make-A-Card kit, which contains enough material for you to create and manufacture your own greeting cards. Now, I'd like to tell you a little more about this set. It has everything you can possibly think of for creating the finest in greeting cards. Six beautifully designed cards, Two for Easter, two birthday cards, a Mother's and Father's Day card, and six envelopes you make yourself to mail the cards in. Now, the set also contains a box of the finest crayons, every color that you can think of. You also receive a sheet of gold metallic paper and a sheet of silver metallic paper. Now, if you can't think of an appropriate rhyme, let us say it for you. We've included many different poems that you can print on the inside of the card after you have completed it. Well, that's it, fellas and girls, your very own greeting card company, wrapped up and sent to your home for only 25 cents. Too good to be true, isn't it? Well, don't be one of the gang who send in for this offer after we've sold out our limited supply. Hurry and send for your set today. I'll be back in a few minutes with the address, so be sure to keep listening. And now, back to the adventures of Superman... And part two of the case of Double Trouble. Suspected of having committed two daring robberies, Clark Kent and Lois Lane find themselves entangled in a web of circumstantial evidence, unable to prove their innocence without the help of Perry White and Jimmy Olsen, who in turn have unwittingly become the chief witnesses against the two reporters. Now, early in the evening, we find Kent and Lois in the little coffee shop located in the lobby of the Daily Planet building, trying to unravel the confusing threads of evidence before Inspector Henderson can fulfill his threat of arrest. Let's go over it point by point, Clark. Okay. You say the chief called you from Bayville and told you to meet him there, and the chief denies that. Uh-huh. And Jim said you called him to invite him to the fight, and you say you didn't. That's right. And you claim I told you to meet me on Ridgewood Drive, which I did not do. Right. So, 
Where does that leave us? Behind the eight ball. Willie. Yeah, Mr. Kent. Give us a repeat here, will you? Two hamburgers, two coffees coming up. Well, trouble hasn't affected your appetite, obviously. Why should it? We both know we're innocent. Yes, but Inspector Henderson doesn't, and with two positive identifications, how can he help putting handcuffs on us? Oh. You know, it's funny we should both be accused after we wrote stories on the stolen articles. Me on the paintings, you on the first. Here you are, Mr. Kent, Miss Lane. Hamburgers and coffee. Oh, thanks, Willie. Put it on the tab, will you, Willie? Sure. Say, uh, I understand you and Miss Lane are in hot water. Oh, <laughs> boiling water, Willie. If you need me as a character witness or something, uh, just sing out. Oh, Willie. I'll tell them you're both a couple of swell guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot. We just hope it won't be necessary. Well, if there's anything I can do. Okay, Willie, thanks. Oh. Say, uh, I gotta go out for a minute. If anybody comes in, will you tell them to wait? I'll be right back. Yeah, sure thing, Willie. Oh, dear. You know, Clark, I've been thinking. We both received phone calls. We didn't dream them up. So if you didn't call me and the chief didn't call you, someone else must have... Brilliant deduction, Miss Lane. All right, Smarty, but I know your voice, Clark, and you know the chief's voice, so how could we possibly make a mistake in identification? How did Mrs. Van Dyke identify my voice? How did the butler spot yours? Clark, do you think it's possible for someone... Oh, that's Willie's phone. You better answer it. Okay. Hello? Hello? Mr. Kent? Uh-huh. This is Jim. Jim? Well, how'd you know I was down here? Oh, I called upstairs. Mr. White told me you went down for some coffee. Oh? What's up? Listen, I think I'm on the trail of something pretty hot. Can you and Miss Lane meet me right away? Why, yes, of course. Where? Corner of Market and 27th Street. Market and 27th. Got it? And will you hurry, Mr. Kent? Sure thing, Jim. See you in a few minutes. It was Jim. Oh? He wants us to meet him right away. He's on the trail of something hot. He is? Yes, and so am I. Come on, Lois, let's make tracks. Are you sure this is where Jim told us to meet him? Positive. Mark it in 27th. Well, then where is he? You got me. Clark, you don't think this is another one of those strange calls? It was Jim's voice, Lois. I'll swear to that. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't Jim cover an assignment on some perfectly matched diamonds a couple of days ago? Why, yes. The chief wanted pictures of the stones for the rotogravure, and he sent Jim along with the photographer to get material for the cat. Uh-huh. Clark, you don't think... I'm beginning to. Who owned those diamonds, Lois? A man named, uh, um... Uh, Carver. Yes, Carver. He lives over on the west side, Blackburn Avenue. But, Clark, I don't... Wait a minute. Look. Three police cars coming down Market Street. Yes, there are two more coming up the street. And more across 27th Street. All converging on this corner. What in heaven's name is going on? Oh, no. Lois, there's the chief. Chief? Eh? Chief? Well, Lois, Kent, what incarnation are you two doing here? We might ask the same of you. Why, all the police cars. Well, Inspector Henderson called them out on a general alarm and told me to go with them. He... There's something going on in this building here. There is? What? Well, how do I know? But, Chief, the building's vacant. Vacant? How do you know, Clark? Well, uh, the, the, the windows are all dark, and, and some of them are even broken. Well, I don't think this place has been occupied in years. Well, I'll be... Now, what in places got into Henderson? He called squad cars from as far as the west side to cover this. I'll have his height. Chief, pro- Chief, you mean there's no police protection on the west side? Oh, a few men pounding the beat, but... But they can't move fast in case of trouble, Chief. Get these men back where they belong and get over to the Carver Mansion on Blackburn Avenue as fast as you can. But why? Why? Lois, you explain. I've got to get moving. Where are you going? Where do you think? Hurry up, will you? Now, what is that idiot raving about? I'll tell you about it on the way, Chief. We'd better do as he says. <laughs> Carver Mansion's around the corner. I wish he wouldn't go so fast. Don't worry, Lois. Don't worry. Oh, I'm blessed if I see the connection between Jim's not meeting you and... Great Caesar, what's going on? Look at all those fire engines. I'm not blind, Lois. I see them. Stop here, Sergeant. Where's the fire? Well, that's what I'd like to know. Come on. Come on, everybody. There can't be any fire. The firemen aren't doing anything. Then why are they here? Inspector Good, I've got a bone to pick with him. Oh, Henderson! Henderson! What? Oh! Oh, it's you, Mr. Well, what's going on here? Why all the fire trucks? Well, you should know. You call them. I what? Why, you... And why did you tell me to come here? I don't know what you're talking about. You called me less than 15 minutes ago. The devil I, I can. see here, Mr. White. 
You phoned me, and the fire commissioner swears you phoned him, too. Anderson, you're out of your mind. Mr. White, I'm Now, just your... a minute, just a minute. I think I know the answer to this. Inspector, did you order ten police cars over to Market Street a few minutes ago? I most certainly did not. Do you mean to stand there and deny you phoned and told me he to go with them? phone you? You called me? I did not. Stop uh... shouting, will you, Chief? Don't you understand? You've both been tricked the same way Clark and I were. I know Henderson's voice when I hear it, and you now can't tell me that I don't... Now, listen to me, please. Will you listen to me? Maybe I can help you, Miss Lane. Oh, Superman and, and, and Jim. Oh, Miss Lane. Superman. Do you know what's going on here? Yes, I picked Jim up at the Carver mansion. I pulled him out of a pretty tight scrape there. I'll say. What happened? Mr. Carver accused me of stealing his diamonds. Accused you? He said he recognized my voice. Oh, not again. For the last time, I promise you, Inspector... Now, if you'll all go back to the Daily Planet, Clark Kent will explain the whole thing to you. We'll be back in a moment with the climax of the case of Double Trouble. So, keep listening. Fellas and girls, if I were to give you 90 cents for every quarter you gave me, would you do it? I'll bet every one of you would take me up on that offer. Now, suppose I were to tell you that that's exactly what I'm going to do. For every 25 cents you send in, we're going to send you 90 cents. No, it isn't going to be in money. It's going to be in Superman's new greeting card idea. That's right. You're going to receive a kit with enough material to manufacture and create your own card and then sell them for at least 15 cents apiece. Sounds like a profitable idea, doesn't it? Well, it is. It's a fun-packed idea that you'll be able to cash in on. I've already told you about the Make-A-Card Kit and what it contains. Well, now I'd like to tell you about the money-making opportunity this set offers you. Just think what fun it will be to conduct a business of your own. You get this kit complete for 25 cents, nothing else to buy. All you have to do is send your quarter to Make-A-Card, Box 1319, New York 17, New York. That's Make-A-Card, Box 1319, New York 17, New York. We'll ship your kit out immediately. Now, after you complete the Easter, birthday, Mother's and Father's Day cards you'll know that you've actually started on a successful business venture. You'll have created a beautiful card with a personalized yet professional quality everyone will be happy to receive. Now, fellas and girls, you'd better hurry and send in for your kit today. All you have to do is send 25 cents to Make a Card, Box 1319, New York 17, New York. That's 25 cents to Make a Card, Box 1319, New York 17, New York. We'll send your set to you immediately. Back to the adventures of Superman and the climax of the case of Double Trouble. Rushing over to the Daily Planet, Perry White, Jim Olson, Lois Lane, and Inspector Henderson find Clark Kent in his private office and immediately overwhelm him with questions. All right, now, Kent, what do you know about that? Hey, 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 take it easy. I can't answer all of you at once. I'm begin at the beginning. I will, just as soon as I have absolute proof that my theory is correct. What? You mean this is just another one of your wild hunches? It's not as wild as you think, Inspector. Uh Uh-oh. Wait a minute. What is it? Someone's coming. Stand back against the wall, all of you. And be quiet. What's the idea, Mr. Kent? I don't want anyone to know you're here. Go on now, and no noise. Come on, Mr. Kent. Quiet. Quiet. Who is it? Wally, Mr. Kent. I got your coffee. Oh, yes. Yes, I forgot all about it. Oh, Willie. Of all the... So what? Please, Mr. White, do what Mr. Kent says. Oh, thank you, Willie. Working kind of late, aren't you, Mr. Kent? Yes, I am, Willie. Matter of fact, you know that mess Miss Lane and I were in? Yeah. Well, it's all cleared up. You don't say. Uh-huh. In a little while, I expect to find out exactly who cost it. You do? Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it, Mr. Kent. I thought you would be, Willie. I guess I better be getting back to the shop. Right. Thanks for the coffee, Willie. Okay, Mr. Kent. Blast it, Kent. Will you please tell me? Quiet, Chief. He'll hear you. Well, what difference does it make? Now, listen, Kent. If you know anything, spill it. When the police and fire departments of this city are sent out on false alarms, well, it's high time something was done about it. I agree with you, Inspector. For your information, the police squad cars were sent on a wild goose chase across town to keep them from interfering with the robbery at the Carver Mansion. I never sent them there. I know you didn't. And why did I supposedly call out the fire department? To create confusion near the Carver place. Draw a crowd so the real thief could make a getaway unnoticed. A real thief? Clark, do you know who it is? Yes. Well, who is it? Come on with me to the chief's private office and I'll give you a personal introduction to him. (laughs) 
guilty footing around like this. Would you rather scare him away? Scare who away? Quiet now. Get close to the door and listen. Like somebody's inside using your phone, Chief. Who? Who? Wait and listen. Hello? Main dead. This is Henderson. Good heavens. It, it, it's impossible. Quiet. Take up Clark Kent right away. Yes, on that robbery charge. He's in his office at the Daily Planet. Now step on it. Cheapers. If you weren't standing here right next to me, Inspector, I'd have sworn that was you. Why? Why, it's unbelievable. Listen, he's putting through another call. Hello, this is Perry White. Why, Chief, I that's you. I don't believe you. a message for Inspector Henderson when he gets there. Tell him I'm absolutely convinced now that my two reporters, Clark Kent and Lois Lane, are guilty. Have them pick up. Why'd he leave me out, I wonder? Have all of you heard enough? I'll say. Open that door, Henderson. Willie! No! There's your man, Henderson. Oh, what's going on? I hope you don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I had to make a phone call, Mr. White. Don't try to weasel out of it, Willie. We know the whole story. We heard you. No, no, you can't prove anything. Oh, can't we? Well, you're under arrest. You won't get me, you won't. He's trying to get away. Not so fast, Willie. Oh, Oh, nice going, Mr. Kent. Why, Clark, I never knew you had it in you. Well, Kent, what's the story now? And how did Willie manage to do all this? Well, Willie's an excellent doubler and imitator, as you heard. He certainly is. Uh Uh-huh. On the night of the art collection robbery, he imitated your voice, Chief, and told me to get out of town. Then mimicked me in a call to Jim to destroy my alibi. Mm. And finally, in committing the robbery, used my voice again to point suspicion directly at me. Then he must have done the same thing to me. Exactly, and disguised himself in a gray suit and heavy veil. Before the robbery, he imitated my voice in a call to you to get you close to the scene. Well, then I guess he imitated your voice again, Miss Lane, when he called to tell me to meet you at the Carver place. And he imitated you, Jim, to send Lois and me across town to meet you at Market Street. Matter of fact, that's when I first got suspicious. You did? How? Well, he said he knew I was in the coffee shop because the chief had told him I was down there. And the chief wasn't in his office at the time. On top of that, he asked for both of us, Lois and myself, to meet him. How would Jim have known Lois was there, too? Yes, that's right. Oh, that's real smart detective work, Mr. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did you know so much about the places he robbed? Where to find the paintings and the furs? Well, that's where we were all a little careless, I'm afraid. Willie simply overheard us talking about our assignments while we were in his coffee shop. We talked too much. I'll know better next time, I promise. Mm. Uh, He's coming, too. And just in time to go down to headquarters with me. Well, take good care of him, Inspector. And for heaven's sake, don't give him a cell with a phone. Or we'll all wind up talking to ourselves. And so ends the case of Double Trouble. Another transcribed Superman adventure mystery in the new half-hour series. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC comic magazines and brings you radio's most exciting stories of action, adventure, and mystery, each story complete. So be sure to listen when you hear the familiar cry, Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! The Adventures of Superman comes to you at the same time, same station, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Remember... Three different stories every week, each one complete. Be sure to listen again Friday, same time, for another complete story on The Adventures of Superman. This is Ajax with a reminder to join us again next time for comedy, music, mystery, and drama on CreamCityUSA.com.